0: I sort of see, I see demonstration as sort of the narration of mathematics. Um, You know, if you can demonstrate to yourself something, if you can sort of prove it to yourself, then that is, that is still so kind of calling in that, that mental, that mental effort, that sort of, it shows that you've processed through this principle or this idea and that you, it shows that you know it.
1: Welcome to Charlotte Mason Says. I'm John Schindel, here with my wife, Crystal. Join us as we read and discuss the home education series. Hey, everyone. The Charlotte Mason Inspired Online Conference is currently happening, and it's a week of teaching and workshops given by over 20 homeschooling experts, and will be ongoing through the 26th of June, 2020. Registration is still open and is just $17 for the entire package, which includes the recorded talks as well as some other goodies. If you're interested, please check out the link in the show notes of this episode, our webpage, or social media pages, or check your email for an update. Remember, the recorded audio of the conference will be available after it ends, so if you're listening to this episode after that date, but are still interested, still check it out. Alright, today we're joined by Amy. Amy a mother of three boys and an American expat living in the Northwest of the United Kingdom. She has a master's degree in education. And I know there's a minor in mathematics on her transcript somewhere else too. She worked for a few years in higher education before settling into stay at home motherhood. We had a great time talking about arithmetic with her and she had some really insightful things that she brought to our discussion. I hope you enjoy the conversation. So enjoy the show. see, what are we talking about today? Arithmetic. We're talking about arithmetic.
2: This was a fun chapter.
0: I thought so too.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Well, let's start out with talking to our guest, Amy. Mm -hmm. And Amy, can you tell us a little bit about yourself?
0: Absolutely. So I am an American expat. I grew up in in Indiana. And now I live in the Northwest of England, um, not too far from where Charlotte Mason had her teaching college in Ambleside. Um, my kids are six, nearly five and two and a half. And we have home, we have planned to home educate for quite some time now. So, and to follow the Charlotte Mason method. So this is, um, Yeah, a big part of the journey. We're just starting formal lessons and that includes arithmetic. So I'm really excited to talk to you about that today.
2: So one of our questions typically is, how did you find Charlotte Mason?
0: Well, when I was pregnant with my first son, I was on Pinterest, as you do, and I ended up clicking through to a a blog post of a family who home educated. And it just sort of planted this little idea in my mind of like, oh, you know, I wonder, I wonder what what we would I wonder what that would look like if we went down that road. Um, I mm-hmm. I I came to England to do a master's degree in education, and one of my big takeaways is just things do not move fast enough in education. You know, things do not keep up with things do not keep up with research, and um, you know, just things are, get really clogged down by politics. And so, the the idea that we could do something different with for our family was really interesting to me. Not too long after that, um, I thought, well, you know, if we do decide to home educate, when do we need to decide by? Um, And so I I Googled that and... Basically, I found another website that said, well, it depends on your philosophy and your approach. Um, and I thought, oh, that sounds good. I should get one of those.
3: So I looked
0: up, I started looking into different approaches to home education and I landed on Charlotte Mason and it just had the the Christian, the Christian. Um, the, the, just the Christian foundation, the outdoor play, delayed yeah. academics, um, all of that. It just really um holistically it just was absolutely perfect. And so I just started digging in more and more. And it just yeah, at some it wasn't even really a decision that we made. It just at some point it was just really clear that this was what we were gonna do. It
1: was a thing that happened. That sounds familiar, actually. Well, my background is I'm an engineer. And so I spent many years doing math, be it in middle school, high school, or college. So so math is something that's near and dear to my heart because I, I love it, especially once it gets into the, the higher level theoretical nonsense. It, it's just fun. And, well, and I can call it nonsense because I know it is.
2: <laughs> well, and my background is my mother's a math teacher. And so I've always grown up with a working knowledge, not necessarily, I didn't, I don't have a love for it, but I have a working knowledge and definitely not fear of math. And my brother ended up majoring in mathematics as well. So something passed on within our family.
0: Yeah, I did. Yeah, I did my bachelor's degree in mathematics. So, um, again, this is a yeah, it's 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 a it's an important Topic. I think that you know there are a lot of people out there who have math anxiety who who don't have mm-hmm. a yeah. a sense of confidence around math. And I think Charlotte Mason has a really um, non gimmicky approach, which I really appreciate. So I'm I think that I think those are some really good principles in here that that can be drawn out and applied um, as we go about our our practice as home educators.
1: I think so, and it seems like one of the things that Charlotte Mason was very concerned about was the mental state of her students as she was looking into this and and to make sure that the child grew in in confidence and in self-confidence with arithmetic itself by building the the or by, by growing the basic building blocks and then building upon them piece by piece, little by little, so that the child never feels like he is inadequate or doesn't know how to do something or doesn't know why something works the way it does. And I think that's the thing that I found so interesting is that she's she's working not unlike everybody else when you do math. You start with arithmetic, do subtraction, do multiplication, do division. But her approach is, is so... Organic. Organic and loving. And, and interested in where the child is at and what the child is learning and taking things slow and just slowly working through things and giving time for it to settle with the child. That I think you're right. I, I think Charlotte Mason has some great principles that we can glean and, and great ideas in terms of how we can teach this subject to our children. So having said that, At the very beginning of this section, Charlotte Mason says, of all his early studies, perhaps none is more important to the child as a means of education than that of arithmetic. That he should do sums is of comparatively small importance, but the use of those functions which summing calls into play is a great part of education. So much so that the advocates of mathematics and of language as instruments of education have until recently divided the field pretty equally between them so she puts great weight on arithmetic not just for the ability to do math to add and subtract multiply divide but because the way that you think about math can invade all of the ways that you think about everything else
0: i found this um the first two the first two paragraphs here really interesting because one of my pet projects right now is I'm trying to gather all the places where Charlotte Mason writes about mathematics. And I do actually think she changes her tune a little bit over the course of her writing here. So by the, time, by the time she gets to school education and philosophy of education, she's actually saying that, you know, the, the, the faculties, the functions you develop in one subject don't actually cross over so you can have some really brilliant people but they might cut a big hole in the door for the big cat and they might cut a little hole in the door for little cat instead of just letting the the small cat use Hmm. the bigger hole and so she does kind of downplay that a little bit as her writing develops um and as i get the sense that she um that she just takes a, a slightly um A slightly broader view of how how mathematics fits into this um you know she does go on to say that people will inherently reason it's not necessarily something that we have to specifically develop through math because it's it's sort of in our nature to find reasons to support the ideas we've accepted. That's why it's so important to accept or reject ideas because we will find the reasons to support what we've accepted. So right. I think that, I think that you're absolutely right. I think that math is really valuable in terms of stretching that reason, that reasoning power. Um, I think it's, good for our kids' minds. It's growing, it's living. And so it definitely has that place. But I just found this really interesting in light of what she goes on to write in some of the future years. And um, I don't know, it sort of encouraged me to step back and just kind of remember that, you know, this this book was written towards the beginning of Charlotte Mason's (laughs) um, real public practice. So I thought that was kind of interesting to catch that.
2: That's fascinating. That's that is really cool i've I've heard that she changed her overall tone between one and six due to the war but i I had not heard that specifically about the the arithmetic that's that's really cool thank you Amy
0: yeah and by the time she gets to this is sort of moving into the second the second paragraph where she says the chief value of arithmetic lies in the training it affords the reasoning powers you know by the time she gets to volume six she's actually set, she actually says that we have to make other claims to keep mathematics in the curriculum. And she makes the claim to mathematics, beauty and truth. So math is true, and it is beautiful. And that is why we study it. It opens up our our conception of, the, of order and logic. It shows us that God created an, an ordered and lawful world. And so that's why we pursue that as a course of study. So again, it's not that It's not that you don't develop your reasoning when you study math. It's just that by the time I think Charlotte Mason gets to, you know, towards the end of her life, I think she starts to see that you know mathematics maybe has a a higher purpose than just reason.
2: Well, it sounds like it's the the math itself as opposed to the the way it teaches your mind. She she, it sounds like she's giving more emphasis towards you know the 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 truth of it the you know you have an absolute truth and and that is inherent in math not just in the way that you study it interesting
0: I thought so too (laughs)
2: interesting well so that goes that throws out all of our uh, first section notes
1: (laughs) (laughs) it kind of it kind of does that's interesting
0: I think you, you, do, you do still get into really quickly some, some principles that do still hold. Um, you know, Right after that statement about the value of arithmetic, she says, you know, there's no one subject in which good teaching affects more as there is none in which mm, slovenly yeah. teaching has more mischievous results. That is definitely consistent. And, and that's because in mathematics, it's the teacher who's bringing the living idea to the table. It's not a book. So right. we have to pay extra attention to the subject because it is it is on us as the teachers to make sure that we're we're presenting those ideas in a living and um enlivening way to to our students, to our kids.
1: Well, and talk to any student who loves math, and that's gonna be one of the first things they tell you is which teacher showed them a love for math.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: And then you look at the university level and as a as a graduate in mathematics, you know this better than better than most, but a lot of what you learn at university about math comes directly from your professor. If you have a good professor, you can learn a lot. If you don't, you, it, it's a, it's a lot harder to learn these things. So I, I would, I would say that she's, she's absolutely correct in that statement. Okay. So in that case, uh, are, do you have any, do you have any last thoughts on, on this intro section?
0: Uh, well I think you already mentioned, you know, this idea that there that there is a sense of must in mathematics. So you she kind of goes mm-hmm. into this sort of an illustration of of kind of what not to do, um resulting in allowing it to not be clear that there is a right and wrong answer. And that's kind of um, how she transitions into that next section, which is really interesting because it can feel really harsh to be like, no, you're wrong. But again, if math (laughs) is lawful and ordered, then we're not presenting the subject correctly. If we are wishy-washy about the way we go about it and, and the answers that, that we produce.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, and you know, as an engineer who uses math on a, Semi-regular basis. Yeah, she's she's right. There there is no, um, slightly, almost right. Yeah, there's no almost right. You're either right or you're wrong. And if you if you did the problem wrong, then then you get the wrong answer. And if you have the wrong answer, then then you're wrong. Now, I do think there's value, and maybe not maybe not at early levels. When you're talking very simple simple bits of arithmetic, when you're getting into High school level and you're talking algebra geometry, trigonometry, and then you're getting into calculus further on, I think there is value in looking at why you got the answer wrong and studying the process that you went through and finding out where some of the steps you took were right and some of the steps you took were wrong because I think there's a lot you can learn about what you're doing when you break down your 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 work that way, but I don't know if that's necessarily true when we're talking. Elementary arithmetic.
0: Yeah, she has more of an approach that if a student gets a, a problem wrong, it, it's really on the parent to or the yeah. teacher to really kind of assess maybe what's going on and then set them another problem that they can that they can work. And that's something that that she certainly certainly talks about.
1: Mm-hmm. She does.
2: Well, the example we have here talking about how to give problems to the child. And uh, this is her her negative example. Where you give the long division sum of nine hundred fifty three million seven hundred eighty three thousand four hundred sixty five divided by eight hundred and seventy three <laughs> i I have a distinct memory of learning long division and loving writing it all down on on like the graph paper and at at the same time though, divided by eight hundred and seventy three i don't i would do like two-digit division. Yeah.
1: 1,092,535.469.
2: But at the same time, it it takes <laughs> so long and it's so easy to just make one simple error and end up, like she said, with something being wrong. Yeah. And in her example of a bad way of doing it is say, oh uh, well, it's almost right, but you're just you're just done. So we'll just let it go. Her Example of a better way to do it is to be very tangible, to be Mm -hmm. very applicable to the child's life. You know, Mr. Jones sent 607, Mr. Stevens, 819, to be divided among 27 boys. How many apples do they each get? So they have to figure out which function to do, Mm -hmm. addition, subtraction, division, etc., and then figure it out. But you're dealing with apples, so... And how many, how many apples do I get? And so it's very applicable. And the, the attention of the child is concentrated on his work. Again, that, back to that habit of attention being so crucial mm-hmm. to the way children and people can learn. Care taken to give the child such problems as you can work, but that are difficult enough to cause you a little mental effort.
0: I think that's such a, a an important principle because that really is, you know, that that sustains motivation. That, you know, when when you hit that sweet spot of of just little just enough difficult to be a bit of a challenge, but not so difficult that you can't do it. That that is how you keep how you keep yourself engaged. That's how you keep your children engaged. Mm-hmm. Like that that really does boil down to motivation because on on one side you're sort of setting your child up for failure. On the other side he's bored. You know, we we don't want our children to just think that You know, this is just something wrote that we work through, Um, you know, that that negative example, that's just busy work. That person just wants that child to fill up their time and really doesn't care whether or not that problem is right at the end of the day. Whereas the person Mm -hmm. who set that second example has thought about how to. Yeah, how to enliven the child's interest. Um, You know, think about, you know, they can visualize the adding together of those apples and they can visualize the dividing them up between people. You know, that sense of must is there. You think, well, I must find out how many I have altogether. I must divide them. So it it becomes apparent to the child how they're meant to solve the problem. It's not just a random guesswork of, well, I know how to multiply, so I'm just going to multiply here and maybe I'll get the right answer.
2: (laughs) Mm hmm. Well, that leads directly into our next section of demonstrate. The next point is to demonstrate everything demonstrable. And she says, you know, use your bag of beans, use your counters, your buttons for as long as the child needs it. And, and kind of work towards not using them. And, and work that in steps, work it in, you know, can you visualize them? Can you see them in your mind can you can you do it can you try for just a moment without them but but she moves from physical tangible to a mental image to the words of three beans four beans to the words of three four five like she 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 even has that step of calling them beans before moving on to just the num the number right
0: Yeah I sort of see I see demonstration as sort of the narration of mathematics um, you know if you can demonstrate to yourself something if you can sort of prove it to yourself, then that is that is still so kind of calling in that that mental that mental effort that sort of it shows that you've processed through this principle or this idea and that you it shows that you know it.
1: That's an interesting. That's an interesting parallel. That's not one that I thought of.
2: John just had a light bulb over his head. I I totally did.
1: (laughs) The light just went on. That's fascinating that, that that's the narration of arithmetic.
0: I think, yeah, I think it's really helpful to think about it that way because it does start to it does start to help you see some more connections with the way you would approach lessons with maybe some other subjects in in a Charlotte Mason education. But you really, yeah, you're you're wanting your child to mentally process through this principle, and when you have them demonstrate or show their work or tell them how you so- tell tell you how they solve the problem, that is calling up all of that really similar stuff into play. So I think that. We can kind of, yeah, it, it can help sort of help us sort of see how math really fits into the Charlotte Mason approach there when we kind of have that have the idea at the back of our heads.
1: Yeah, well, it was so much else, especially in the the earlier, so much else is is a, a conversation I think between mother and child. You read the book, the the child narrates back to you, and and this is that what you're saying is that that totally fits with what she's doing is you you read the problem to the child the child narrates back to you the the method they used to solve the to solve the problem hmm. so you're you're continuing and maintaining that conversation that is present in every other subject that you're doing it's just in a different in a different form
0: yeah mm-hmm. it's just about math and it might use manipulatives and it might be written down in numbers yeah. on paper you know it can have a lot of different forms but yeah i think that that's Yeah, that that's that's yeah, that's my idea. I don't think Charlotte Mason ever says that, but
1: (laughs) she certainly certainly doesn't in this chapter, but that that makes that makes a lot of sense.
2: I I think she doesn't say so in as many words. Yeah, she doesn't come out and say, this is how you narrate math. (laughs) Yes.
0: Yeah. And I, I don't, I don't get the impression from her writing that that she was just really in love with math as a subject either. I think she kind yeah, of she so. gave it its place, and she, you know, she it was good for children to study, but I don't know that she was sort of, um, you know, math's biggest cheerleader.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, even if you go back to the the first paragraph that we read, she was saying that the reason you do math is not so that you learn how to do math. Yeah. The reason you do math is so that you can do other things better.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: So. I I would uh I would give credence to that that, that Charlotte Mason was not a mathematician. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she had
0: many other gifts.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, a couple. <laughs> oh man.
2: So we do move on to we've got addition, we've got subtraction, and it will be it will be found that it requires a much greater mental effort on the child's part to grasp the idea of subtraction than that of addition and the teacher must be content to go slowly one finger from four fingers one nut from three nuts and so forth and that whole going slowly until that light bulb in the child goes off is crucial mm-hmm. i mean we're the program that we're going through it it also helps with that but at the same time me as a as a teacher to my son i've had to step back and be like okay it's not clicking I need to continue talking. I need to explain it in a different way. I need to, I need to come at it from a different angle because whatever disconnect is there, it's not, it, it's not working yet, and so we need to get that before we move on, before we move on to bigger subtraction, before we move on to bigger problems, and we're not ready to move on.
1: Well, and sometimes that means putting it down and coming back tomorrow.
0: Mm -hmm. Oh yeah.
1: One of the, one of the things we've talked about is the, uh, the masterly inactivity and the, the things that the brain does during the off hours of the day and how the brain continues percolating over those things throughout the day as you're doing other stuff. And I think that's an important part in math is if you're not understanding that concept, putting it down and coming back to it tomorrow can be a huge tool in helping the child to understand it because you give the child enough time to, to percolate over that and think about it. And it's not that the child, the child might not be actively thinking about it, but the brain is working through that problem. And so you put it down and come back to it tomorrow.
0: Yeah, it's that mm-hmm. di- yeah, it's that diffuse mode of thinking that is just yeah. yeah problem solving in the back of your head, and also letting your child sleep in between math sessions. There's lots yeah. of organizing and moving around of stuff in your brain while you sleep, and that can give that space for that 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 idea to just click into place, and for that yeah for for subtraction to just suddenly make sense. Oh, when I subtract, it's doing this, and mm-hmm. um, exactly you know a lot of people. You know that this is this is where people maybe come to have really struggle with math. It's because somewhere along the line they missed one of those foundational building blocks. And we're so fortunate as home educators that we can keep a really close eye on those, and we can slow things down if we notice that our child's going to to maybe not have that one of those really crucial ideas in place.
2: Or conversely, speed them up. There was a. There was a section that they were wanting to pound home in our, our math program and it was page after page after page of the same thing. I was like, okay. Okay. Now we're still doing it. Okay. He's got this. Okay. We're just going to skip the next couple of pages because <laughs> you, you got this. I and mean, if you want to do it, you can, but we can move on to the next concept because you do have it.
0: Oh yeah, definitely.
2: So after talking about concrete numbers and adding subtracting she moves on to multiplying just as a an extension of addition and then she says another very important thing is notation
1: well before you get to notation uh, we talked about the use of manipulatives a little bit and she'll talk about it a little more later but she says you know if if you if you need to use beans to get your answer let them but encourage them to work with the imaginary beans and that's a step towards working with abstract numbers. Mm-hmm. You have this many beans and that many beans and you add them together and then you have this many beans. Well, you go there and you, you remove the beans from, from that sentence and you have, well, I have this many and this many and it makes this many. And then she moves into to notation. But she says carefully graduated teaching and daily mental effort on the child's part at this early stage may be the means of developing real mathematical power. And will certainly promote the habits of concentration and effort of mind. So again, we're talking about more of those habits that that will enable the child to to do more and understand more and be more effective in his in his own schooling. And then she moves into notation because you know, she talked about the imaginary uh, the the numbers that you use in your mind. I want to be careful not to say imaginary numbers because
3: <laughs> that's,
0: that's something massing. else entirely. <laughs> that's something else entirely,
1: and we're not going to talk about. Negative square roots. <laughs>
0: um, <laughs> Arithmetic here,
3: Arithmetic. right?
1: Arithmetic, not not uh, is that algebra that that comes up. But yeah, then then we do move into notation because at some point you have to turn the abstract into, or you have to you have to turn the the physical into into something abstract, and you have to have a way to communicate your math on paper. Mm-hmm. So then she does she she does talk about notation, and she says. When the child is able to work pretty freely with small numbers, a serious difficulty must be faced.
2: Upon his thorough mastery of which will depend his apprehension of arithmetic as a science. In other words, will depend the educational value of all the sums he may henceforth do.
0: Yeah. So what she's really talking about in the section is how to teach place value. So... Yeah, how to show, you know, where your ones, your tens, your hundreds are. I will say that we, we no longer use shillings in the UK. Um, <laughs> that's good to know. And <laughs> um, that, that's now called the old money. <laughs> and our new money is base 10. So
1: oh, thank goodness! I don't have
0: to do this specifically with my child. It is going to be much easier because <laughs> it's 10 pennies to a 10p coin. And we'll be able to go about it that way
2: that's
1: thank goodness because a base 12 system just doesn't
2: make sense
0: no is that no. where we
2: just like make a big x in this whole section and be like and I, and I, I no I will shilling say,
0: i will well i think i think you can apply this to to you know pennies and dimes and. Things oh yeah
1: and yeah that. you can
0: um but i will say that this does make a lot of the i know some people really like to go and hunt after curriculum that charlotte mason used in her schools this does make a lot of that really complex because there will be lots of shillings and okay. and and things like that in there and that it's just not relevant it's just not something that you really <laughs> need to know these days so <laughs> that's just a little bit of a caution mhm
2: thank you
1: yeah that was that was one thing i was thinking is all right so she's talking about shillings well we don't use shillings here in the US we've we've always had a base 10 system Although at some point people were cutting money in half, and you'd have a half a penny, which is interesting, but you know inflation happened, and so the penny is now <laughs> next to worthless. We might not um, have
0: any pennies soon actually <laughs> and then what yeah do we right
1: do? i'd I'd be down for that other than the the multiple pounds of them we have throughout the house, <laughs> <laughs> but no i I think there's a lot of value again to using to using pennies and that that coinage and money. As a practical teaching tool because it is set up that way especially since you're saying that that the English system is now a base 10 system for money well it just makes sense you have 10 pennies in a in a in a dime, a dime thank you and then what two two dimes and five pennies in a quarter and a hundred pennies to a dollar like it 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 works to make sense in that base 10 system so you can talk about place value using pennies
3: mm-hmm
0: Mm-hmm. And that grouping and the trading, and you know, you can go through that process on that really tangible level again, and give them some context for when you start representing that more abstractly on paper.
2: Yeah, one one thing that's interesting is the the working with the units. You when you set them to the sums, don't work beyond the notation that that's that we haven't gotten to, and when you do carry in addition or multiplication, don't carry two or three, but two tens or three hundreds so you you maintain the integrity of that place value so i saw a meme recently about you know there's the the new common core make the grid of how you multiply and then you add to to get to the number and it was you know sorry all the teachers this uh this non-essential employee is at home teaching their kids how to carry the one (laughs) so yeah
0: i appreciated that i think yeah charlotte mason is quite um she likes things to be you know named properly and and to be to be accurate and so little little habits like that they just sort of they they do kind of just reaffirm what it is that you're doing when you carry something Mm -hmm. over and um it's just one of those little changes that you can that you can bring in really easily, but it just drives home that point of what you're actually doing when you're, when you're carrying something over.
1: Mm-hmm. Right. Well, and it, you know, it, it makes sense because to be complete and precise in math, you have to, you have to make sure that all of the parts remain. It uh, You know, it's a, it's a direct carryover or a direct application to chemistry or to, to natural sciences. You, when you add two things together, there's everything gets added together and you might have a little bit left over of this and you might have a little bit left over of that but it all gets added together if you're if you're baking you're making bread well you have to you have to put everything in the bowl and mix it all together and you have to have nothing left over so i i, I can i don't know someone i was i was in a conversation with someone talking about remainders and carrying over and and the long division and 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 he was trying to tell me that it all made sense in common core and it just it it whatever he was telling me didn't make any sense at all and it made it made me sad that <laughs> that there was that there was such a disagreement about something so simple as long division
2: from what i've heard common core math appeals to a certain way that a brain works and that's not the way that it works for every brain because right. there are lots of people that go this this is how i had to teach myself how to make it work and and so it's again that that pendulum of where do we where do we fall when we're teaching yeah do you guys in in england have something like common core or is that just a, a purely american thing
0: well there is a national <laughs> curriculum we're a lot smaller country, so I think it's probably <laughs> easier to, <laughs> to have things yeah. you know, nope. national. But I don't have any obligation to follow it as a home educator. Yeah, that's nice. So I've I've not seen any. I've I've seen examples of of the Common Core Long Division. I just saw one yesterday, but yeah, I, I don't know that that. I know that our math curriculum happens to follow the national curriculum, but I don't know what long division looks like in it. We're not there yet. <laughs> <But> <laughs> okay. I can, I can appreciate, because from what I saw, you know, I can appreciate that, that we want to drive home the point of what's happening when you do long division, you know, because there is some real danger there that if you just know a process – And you just kind of put the right numbers in the right places you can get the right answer if you just have a process memorized that's not actually very good in math because unless you really understand what you're doing with those numbers you know you don't actually understand what you're doing um and that'll that can come back to really get you so i I can appreciate efforts to kind of make it more clear what you're doing as you do long division but i think you know if we're following charlotte mason's principles here and, and taking that time to la- allow children to prove to themselves what's going on, that they've gone through these tangible experiences of what it means to divide and how, the, how our place value notation works, then I think we can be slightly less concerned about finding, you know, the magic way to, to illustrate this on paper because they're going to have that deeper conceptual understanding of what's going on. They're not going to just be moving numbers around on a piece of paper in the right way and ending up with an answer.
2: That's uh, that's exactly a, a very good description of what I did in trigonometry with sine, cosine, and <laughs> tangent. And I could work with them. I could get the right answer. I had the formulas written into my calculator because my teacher didn't know how to check and see my formulas in my <laughs> calculator. Um, but I didn't have that deeper knowledge. And I understand that this is higher math, but... It's the same thing. I didn't have a I still don't have a working knowledge of how it works with each other and the the why behind it. And so I can do I can plug into the equations all day long, but I don't have that working knowledge of how it should work.
0: Yeah. Well, part of part of how I ended up in a math degree is that I was very good in high school at at knowing the process and knowing what to do. And you know, by the time when I I got to when I got to college, you know, you'd never had any more complicated arithmetic than the 12 times than, you know, 12 times 12, because this probably wasn't true in an engineering degree. But when just just in math, you know, none of the professors really cared if you could calculate, you know, they want to know that that you understand what you're doing and why. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And, you know, I think after my freshman year, a lot of my classes, you know, the exams were proofs. It wasn't it wasn't just plug and chug this, this, this problem out. It really is. Can you actually prove this concept? You know, do you know what, do you know what this means and show it by, show it by, by proving it. So it's, yeah, it's, it's definitely a different mindset than like, Oh, Hey, I can get an A on exam because I know the process of integration. So (laughs) yeah, it's um, yeah. You have to, again, I think this is, this is where we're fortunate as home educators, where we can, we don't have to dangle that carrot of a good grade in order to, mm-hmm. to motivate our kids to do math, we can let math stand on its own feet and be attractive for the beauty and truth that offers and let our kids pursue that rather than trying to just say like, Hey, you'll get an A if you memorize this formula. Um. Right.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, and that, and that goes into a lot of what Charlotte Mason talks about is she talks about the, the desire for knowledge to be the driving force behind a child learning, not, not, the goal of getting an a or the competition of education but but that knowledge needs to be the motivator and that's that's exactly what you're saying
2: well real quick you had a professor you you forgot a calculator going to a test oh, one I time I did
1: <laughs> <laughs> and I did to a to a uh, gosh it was it was a it was a higher level engineering course and I just I didn't have my calculator in my bag. And you know, when you're when you're doing engineering coursework, you're never dealing with simple numbers that come out with simple answers. There's always you're rounding up and rounding down all the time and you're dividing things that just aren't divisible by each other easily. So there was no way to do that work without a calculator. And so I went to the professor before the test and I was like, "All right, man, I don't have a calculator." I'm not going to be able to get an answer to any of these questions. And he was like, all right, so what are we going to do? I was like, can I just assign variables to everything and and create large equations of stuff? And <laughs> and, and show my work. Right, and show my work to the nth degree. And he was like, yeah, I, I will not give you full credit for anything because you clearly can't come up with an answer because you can't actually do this. But yeah. Yeah. And so for him, the the process of of what principles you apply to get the answer were more important than the answer itself. Which is 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 interesting looking at Charlotte Mason when she's saying there's a right and there's a wrong. Well, that's true. But in the in the in what he was testing on, what he wanted to know is that we understood how to. Get an answer from a set of information uh, right from a set of information how do you how do you get an answer and if you if you do the numbers slightly wrong, well yeah that's bad but but that's easily fixed that's it's it's more easy to fix how you arrange the numbers than it is you just don't know what the heck you're doing mm-hmm. so I think that ended up actually being one of my better tests <laughs> because I actually did all of my work in a very sequential, linear, ordered, logical fashion. And, and I think I got almost every problem right on that exam just because I had to think about it in such terms, which was an interesting experience for me.
2: Yeah. There you go. Show your work. (laughs) It's it's very important.
1: Uh, It's something else I, I did uh, talking about notation since we actually haven't left that section yet uh, is when I was in, I think it was middle school. And my, my brother reminded me of this not too long ago. I would try and write with such a cramped handwriting. So as to fit all of my work on the fewest number of pages possible, because I just, I wanted, I wanted all 50 problems to be on one side of one sheet of paper. (laughs) And at some point my mom came to me and she was like, all right, so you're doing terrible at this. (laughs) and and she worked problems with me on a whiteboard and she found out that i knew what i was doing And she was like all right i don't i don't think the problem is that you don't know what you're doing i think the problem is you're writing too small and you're too sloppy and i was like no you're wrong mom you don't know what you're talking about i'm fine she was like all right we're going to have a bet <laughs> and so she bet me that 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 she was right i was like no you're wrong so okay so for I think it was it was probably two months we did this, and she would she and I together would grade each of my math homeworks question by question, and if I got an answer wrong, we would put it in one of like two or three categories it was either I didn't understand the problem or I did something a calculating to, error I, yeah, I did a clerical error or I couldn't read the numbers that I put on my stinking piece of paper. <laughs> And after the course of that month, of course my mother was right. And, and I think it, it came down to at least 75% of the problems that I got wrong were just because I couldn't read the stupid numbers I wrote.
3: And so she finally
1: got through to me. All right, you need to write a little bit bigger and a little bit clearer so that you can understand what the heck you're doing.
2: So anyway,
1: that's enough. That's enough stories from my past. (laughs) (laughs)
2: weighing and measuring is the next section so i thought it was interesting
1: that that she goes through arithmetic first and and we do all of those things and we talk about place value and then we move into weighing and measuring and the first time i read through this i it it struck me as odd but it's not it it makes total
2: sense it's a practical application of numbers it is and and mental numbers and being able to estimate, well, and apply
1: those mental numbers to reality. Mm-hmm. So sorry that that was my two cents there.
0: No, absolutely. It <laughs> um, you know, she, you know, she says that you know that this isn't this isn't arithmetic, but I think that we can meet, just sneak in there sneak in here because this is one of my soapboxes math isn't just arithmetic
3: <laughs> and you know
0: i think i think that we we can take a wider view of, of of mathematics as a subject even for our young children even you know even though maybe charlotte mason doesn't specifically say teach these other areas of math to your child i, I don't think we have to have to limit our children you know in in you know, it's it's fun to talk to our kids about, about functions. And mm-hmm. um, a little bit further down, she gets into some algebraic thinking, which is really interesting. And so, you know, obviously computer science was not even... A thing back then, <laughs> but um, that doesn't mean that you know you can't very gently start introducing some start introducing some coding principles in there. So I think that there's definitely I don't think we have to read this and say this is exactly what I need to see to read my child and try to and to try to derive an entire mathematics curriculum from this. I think that we can look at the principles and think you know. Are there maybe some other things that are appropriate that come other under this domain that we can kind of add in? Because honestly, a lot of math curriculums will include weighing, measuring, calculating, Mm -hmm. things like that. They'll include geometry. So I think we can have kind of an open mind, too, about this. Yeah. I also enjoy, yeah. So I, I also enjoyed, you know, talking about her talking about the value of sort of being be able to make judgments about measure and weight. Um, mm-hmm. When my when my second son was born, um, I'd gone in for a really late scan because of just I think that his growth had tailed off. And they told me that he was going to be seven pounds. I'm like, OK, seven pound baby. Fine. Um, he was born. They said, <laughs> how much do you think he weighs? I'm like, uh, seven pounds, because that's kind of what they told me. Nine pounds, 14. You know, oh, <laughs>
2: That's not seven. That is not seven.
0: And I th- that, that is what this made me think of, like, oh, I could have actually maybe come up with a slightly more realistic guess <laughs> if I knew what nine pounds weight felt like. <laughs>
2: there, there was another example she gave. I think it was in Parents and Children of uh, when you're making judgment calls about a person and a person's character. You look at the person who can accurately look at something and guesstimate its weight to pretty close, versus the person who just kind of throws out a number. You know, oh that that cake looks like it's you know ten pounds or you know, three pounds, and so those are vastly different numbers. And and you 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 make even unconscious judgments about that person based on how accurate they are.
1: I remember that, that she talked about it. I And if if given a long enough timetable, we could find it. But I don't... <laughs> off the yeah. top of my head, I don't remember. I will say that that's one of the things that we do in in my work is we do a lot of estimating. Mm. So someone will come up to us with a project and say, all right, I need to renovate this building. How much is it going to cost for a design? And we have to sit there and come up with a cost of how many hours it's going to take and how many dollars then it's going to take. Mm. And And so it's not exactly the same to say how much a cake weighs as compared to how much a project is going to cost us to do but it's still that idea of estimating based on something you can't actually measure yet hmm. so yeah. i think i think there's even practical applications for for that uh, for that kind of abstract thinking that you have to do in the mental process you have to go through to come to a number based on what you think it might be.
2: hmm We move into at, arithmetic is valuable as a means of training children in habits of strict accuracy, where if, if you do slipshod habits, like writing your numbers wrong, you have a <laughs> disregard for truth and common honesty. And that's... Yes, I did. <laughs> but this exact science gives something worthy of admiration,
0: Well, I think she's being a little bit sarcastic here because she says the ingenuity, which makes this exact exact science, uh, you know, basically like you have to be like working really hard to allow these bad habits to come into play in this subject because it's, you know, it (laughs) it lends itself so much to accuracy and attention and all of these things. And yet so many teachers allow their students to build these slip shot, slip shot habits instead it's like wow um, <laughs> I, I
2: I missed that I she was so subtle in her uh, her sarcasm in her sarcasm that I missed that that's a uh, yeah
0: Yep, but it's it's really interesting to read this. But you know, the copying, the prompting, the telling, the helping over difficulties, working with an eye to the answer, which he knows that are allowed in arithmetic, under an inferior teacher, are enough to vitiate any child to spoil them. So I just I think that yeah, there are a lot of things in there of like don't don't do these things. <laughs> yeah.
2: Well, and I, I think this goes into... You know, she says, pronounce a sum wrong or right. It cannot be between the two. That which is wrong must remain wrong. And the child must not be let to run away with the notion that wrong can be mended into right. The future's before him. He moves on to the next one. The wrong sum must just be left left alone. That... It, hearing, hearing it come from a sarcastic tone, I can understand where she's coming from. The, but that doesn't make sense to me. Because I... I want to show – I want him to get it. I want him to see why he got it wrong and where he needs to change it.
0: I think that this is less about don't go back and rework a problem and more about when you've done a problem wrong in the first place – it can actually be really easy to go back and do it wrong in the same way again. And so it's better to have a fresh problem, you know, this the same concept, but just sort of different numbers and to start afresh with a new problem because you aren't going to somehow carry over. You're going to be less likely to carry over your mistakes into doing it again because I've done that before. You know, you get a problem yeah. wrong and you try to rework it and you just end up with the same wrong answer three times in a row. That's not actually very helpful. <laughs> so this okay, is, that- I think it's.
2: That makes sense. Yeah, I
0: think it's that fresh problem lets you sort of kind of shake it off and start over from the beginning with new numbers. And, you know, she says that it's your business as a teacher to make sure that they do it right the next time. So as long as you're aware of where they've gone wrong and you can add that little bit of instruction in, then you hopefully you do set them up for success and they see that they can do the problem. But I think that I think that that's maybe the principle there of, of kind of, yeah, not getting stuck in a rut.
1: Okay, I think that makes a lot of sense. And then, and then once you've once you've worked through the next one, you can bring up that last problem again at some point in the future, when it is a fresh problem, and and you figured out why you got it wrong. You figured out the process that you went through to get the to get a right answer with those same numbers. But but like you said, you're not just bringing up that example again and, and letting your your memories take over
0: hmm. Yeah, I think I think you're right about that. I think I think you could definitely go back to a problem after you've sort of worked through why you got it wrong. And you can go back and look at it a second time and see like, oh, this is this is where I missed it. And this is how you do it. Do it correctly. But yeah.
2: Oh, well. that 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 makes a lot more sense. <laughs>
0: yeah, it can't it can't. It it does sort of read a bit harsh the first time you read it. Like, <laughs> No, wrong is wrong. But I, I don't think. Charlotte Mason doesn't usually come across with a tone of like, be harsh with your child or, you know, be, you know, be overbearing. It's just, I think you kind of have to envision a more casual interaction with your child around it. Like, hmm, that's not right. Let's look at this concept or we're going to put this aside for the day. We're going to come back to it tomorrow when I've had a chance to come up with a different problem for us Mm -hmm. to work through or something. So I don't think we have to take that as being mean to our kids.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Let his arithmetic lesson be to the child a daily exercise in clear thinking and rapid, careful execution, and his mental growth will be as obvious as the sprouting of seedlings in the spring.
1: Well, I, I think that's. I think that statement does ring true. That that when you teach math well, it's understood, and and you can do what you've learned, and then what you've learned can blossom into other things and it makes learning the next step that much easier when you know the first step.
0: Yeah. And this this really ties into what Charlotte Mason's doing in this in this whole section of home education. So, I went back to read the first chapter in in this section. And she she talks towards the end about applying these four tests to various subjects that we tend to educate our children in. And, she, you know, she says that two of the te- these tests to make them sort of worthy of our time and our, our children's education are that they provide material for their mental growth and that they should mm-hmm. furnish them with fruitful ideas. So ideas that grow and take root and have life, that is, you know, that is a living idea. That is a how education is a life in mathematics and and that means that you know math does pass that that test that she's sort of applying to these subjects throughout this whole section. So this I saw this as really tying back tying it back to why she's writing this in a in, in the first place. So she just has this really clear goal. You know that if, if a subject is going to be worthy of study, it's going to be life giving. It's going to be it's going mm. to furnish ideas that help our children's minds grow. And so there's got to be life there. So I think that that's just really important to think about you know we don't we don't often think about math as being this living subject but you know it does like you catch on to that principle or to the idea in Mm -hmm. math and you just start seeing these patterns everywhere things click into place your brain starts working on it and and that's exactly what Charlotte Mason wanted our our children to experience across the curriculum so I think that's that's uh I don't know sort of this ideal for us to be working towards is making sure that math is, is, is living when we, when we teach it to our children.
1: Yeah. Which it can be tough because it, it, if you're, if you don't see the living nature of math, it can be really easy to turn math into a dry, boring.
2: Turn out the answers. Yeah.
1: Where, where it, it doesn't have to be that way. So then we move on to the ABC of arithmetic here, and as she is often wanted to do, she talks about a book that was written by someone that talks about what she's talking about here.
2: <laughs> well, and I, I think, I think she goes into. I, I couldn't find the ABC arithmetic. I, don't I found think it's out another there. book. I found another hmm. book by them called "The Art and Science of Mathematics." Interesting. But, but it was a, like a, a curriculum, a teacher's – it has teacher's editions and the student editions, and that's how you would teach the arithmetic. She says, I'm, I'm – they already wrote this. They wrote it based on Mill's logic, and the, here's, here's my one beef with this curriculum <laughs> is that let me trace the solitary source of weakness in a surpassingly excellent manual – um it's something about how they're using manipulatives and how they're presenting the material it with this elaborate system of staves cubes etc to be too much for the child's mind she says just just kind of use what you've got and and do it from there but other than this which does not interfere at all with the use of the books, nothing can be more delightful than a careful analysis of numbers and the beautiful graduation of the work, only one difficulty at the time being presented to the mind. And the examples and little problems could have only been invented by writers in sympathy with children. And also go read his paper that he wrote, which I could not also, also could not find.
0: Neither could I. <laughs> so...
2: <laughs> So again it's it is a curriculum recommendation. Yeah. And then in the 40s and the 50s it was said that you know if if you just kind of put up there the these examples on the walls like you put uh put these up posters up on the walls of cubes and Hexagons and pentagons, where wherever they're available in the schoolroom, and then then they'll get this inclination to mathematics. And <laughs> it's like she's like, "This is a fad. Don't do this." <laughs> it, sh- people get bored, and if people get bored with math, then they're going to turn off to math. Mm-hmm. And once they've turned off, then it's really hard to get that turn back on.
1: So, yeah. And that's absolutely true. Talk to any high schooler who tells you that they hate math.
2: Yeah.
0: I thought yeah. this was, I, I saw some, some parallels here where, um, Charlotte Mason writes in, in her sixth volume about education at, Education is an atmosphere. She says it is an accurate picture of the preparation for the high souled little persons all over the world. Parents make tremendous sacrifices to that goddess who presides over education. We hear of a pair investing more than their capital in a statue to adorn the staircase in order that Tommy should make his soul by the contemplation of beauty. And I just I saw I just saw some real parallels here at this like this misapplication of education as an atmosphere. You cannot Just put stuff up on the wall and expect our kids to make a relationship with it. You know, that that poster with, you know, a list of all the shapes and geometry is that's meaningless to a child. Um, And, you know, we, we can't just expect that if we surround our kids with all of the educational posters and just the right environment, that that is going to be sufficient to educate them. We really have to have our title, our our children come in touch with that living idea you know there's a big difference between you know, having a child who's old enough and sitting down and saying like, wow, look at all these triangles. And like, you you know, we see how they all have three sides. And, you know, we, we are looking at the patterns and like, let's look mm. around for other triangles. And we've got this name for this object for just versus, versus, versus having a three year old and pointing at the poster and saying triangle, 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 you know, it's like, there's just a, mm. a huge difference in that in that approach. And I think we have to I well, I'm 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 really bad at decor so we have nothing on our walls. Um but I think we have to um really really be mindful that you know just just sticking something up on the wall that's not what education as an atmosphere is. Like that's just just not how you do it and it will bore you and it'll it'll lose interest and that's not right. Math should be living like we said.
1: Yeah. Well, and I will say uh, we do have some posters on our wall. We've got the alphabet and right above the alphabet crystal wrote out numbers zero through
2: nine Mm. that's because i got tired of writing it for them every (laughs) single time they needed to find out how to write something yeah so what where where i was uh. going with that is
1: they the things that you put on your walls can be useful and you can't you you could have you know the alphabet you could have numbers you could have shapes but but you can't expect that chart to do the to do the teaching for you yes and, and the atmosphere is something that, that you create through conversation and through through living and through through the, the reading that you do and all of those things. It's not just that there are pictures on the wall.
0: Yeah, because those things give, give what's on the wall meaning. So you, right. know, you have to have that meaningful activity around it. And then all of a sudden that poster, that beautiful picture, that shape on the wall, suddenly hmm. that's something the child has a relationship with. Which is what we want yeah. to be aiming for in education,
1: yeah, I was thinking about chemistry classes that I took both in high school and in college, having the periodic table of elements on the wall. and if you were just to stand and stare at a periodic periodic table of elements without any knowledge of chemistry or anything else, then it's just a weird table with a bunch of weird letters and numbers on it that make no sense. Hmm. But as you learn the science of chemistry and as you learn how the elements work together then that table does come alive after you've learned what it is and what it's about and what it's saying and what it's teaching and what it's proving but until then it's just a piece of paper on a wall with some weird notations on it
0: <laughs> Absolutely
1: Well and she she goes on at the at the end of this section she says no, I don't think that any direction or ooh, sorry. She says, I don't I do not think that any direct preparation for mathematics is desirable. The child who has been allowed to think and not compelled to cram hails the new study with delight when the due time for it arrives.
2: I think this is more in regards to, you know, what are you doing for pre-K yeah. or kindergarten?
1: Are you are you really buckling down and preparing your child to learn math? Or, or are you teaching your child those habits of attention Mm -hmm. and and all of the other habits that she also talks about (laughs) because once you have those things then then this is math is just another thing that you learn Mm -hmm. and you learn it and it's cool and it's applicable and and it's
2: and you hail it with delight yeah Mm -hmm.
1: because again knowledge is the the driving factor for learning the the gaining of knowledge and so when that's the driving factor for these things, I, I, we, we don't have to prepare the child or, or get them excited to learn math. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's just another thing they get to learn.
2: We, we need to ramp ourselves up to do it sometimes. Yeah. But the, the reason why mathematics are a great study is because there exists in the normal mind an affinity and capacity for this study. And too great an elaboration, whether of teaching or of preparation, has, I think, a tendency to take the edge off of this matter of this manner of intellectual interest.
0: I think that's really similar to a lot of, you know, what Charlotte Mason says about some other subjects. You know, she cautions against, you know, using a, a a living book as a means to lecture. You know, there's definitely some form we give to our lessons, but you know, it's not this this long oral lesson that we're you know we're lecturing to our kids about something that we're trying to teach and so it is it is light touch and to, to not come into it so overbearing or so, so worked up in our minds that this is really, really important that we start to just distract our kids from just the natural beauty and truth that is in math. So I, I, there can be a lot of pressure. Everything's all about STEM and things like that. But um, in, in <laughs> philosophy of education, Charlotte Mason says that, you know, education is a science of proportion. So, you know, math has its proper place. And, you know, we need to give it that proper place, but we can just relax a little bit. We can take things slow. (laughs) We can take, make sure that things are graduated, get those really firm foundations and, you know, in arithmetic Mm -hmm. and, and things like that. So, You know, because I think you could also read this as, you know, if mathematics means higher mathematics, then, you know, we don't need to use their study of arithmetic to cram into them readiness to study the higher math subjects either. So we can take that more relaxed standpoint in the elementary years and trust that as they're being allowed to think, they will gather what they need in order to study the higher the higher maths as well. So, you know, I think there's 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 that in there, too. I'm not actually sure which way we're meant to read it, so... <laughs> but I, th- I think the principle holds wherever wherever our kids are, so...
1: Uh-huh. I think it
2: does. Well, what looking... And you said you're oldest is six, mm-hmm. so what curriculum nowadays, modern curriculum, are you looking towards with towards using with your children?
0: Right. So we started formal lessons in January, and we are using the Mathematics Enhancement Program, which is a free curriculum. It's put up by the University of Plymouth, and it mostly follows the national curriculum, except the national curriculum's changed a little bit but it's all in there. I like it, first of all, because it's free, but second of all, because there is a strong possibility that our kids will need to take exams when they're sort of 16 and 18. Mm-hmm. And this means mm-hmm. that they would be on track to take those exams. I also like that it's a spiral program and it's been really well thought out. And yeah, it's it's, it, 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 it's, it's a good program. I like what it's including and how it's sort of going about teaching the composition of number and the decomposition of number and things like that. So that's that's what we're using.
2: You mentioned spiral program. Can you expound on that a little bit?
0: Yeah. So there's sort of two different styles of math curriculum that you'll find. So one is called a mastery program, and that's where you will work with one concept until you've mastered it and then you'll move on. And that's kind of the language that Charlotte Mason uses throughout this chapter is, you know, she talks about the mastery of subjects. With a spiral program, you will work on a sub, you will work on a, on a, concept. You will leave it for a little bit, go to move on to some, maybe a different concept, and then you'll circle back to it. And you'll you'll circle around things several times as you move through a math mm-hmm. curriculum. I like that because recall is really important in any subject. So you have to actually mm-hmm. practice recalling what you learn in order to be able to recall it again in the future. So a spiral program really lends itself to practicing recall. And you know, we are talking about that diffuse mode of learning. Obviously, if you're coming, if you're really struggling with the subject, if the math curriculum naturally moves on, but then comes back to it, you've got a bit of extra time for that diffuse learning to take place and you've got some space for things to really click. So so that's, I, I really like that just from like a brain science point of view. And I, yeah. I'm sure it wasn't a thing when Charlotte Mason was teaching, so she wouldn't talk about it. But I like to think that if she were alive today, she'd be super up on brain science and stuff like that. So... <laughs>
1: That's something that, as we went through Parents and Children, she kept talking about the brain and the the chemical construct and the physical construct of the brain. And it was something that, that kept coming up and kept coming up. And it's like, man, yeah, if she were alive today, she would totally be up on whatever the latest neuroscience mm-hmm. was and is. Oh, yeah. She'd be <laughs> all over it. She would be. Because we know so much more now than we did then.
0: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And you know, Charlotte Mason wasn't out there writing math curricula either. She was looking for good ones and she was concerned with how they were used, but she wasn't, you know, she didn't, I don't think she devoted a lot of time into, you know, (laughs) looking at what was taught in those lessons as much as she was thinking about how it was taught. So there's definitely freedom (laughs) here. I don't think we have to go in search of the perfect Charlotte Mason math curriculum. I think we need to look at these principles and think, how do I use my math, math curriculum in order to teach math in a living way, you know, when I'm looking for that math curriculum, can I find one that I, as a teacher can use in a living way, rather than finding the one that makes it super fun and exciting for my child. So there's a, there's a different mindset there.
1: Well, and all, all children learn differently and, and all families are unique. And so that's the other part of that equation is there are so many curricula out there, which which one is going to work for you in the in the place that you're at right now with the child that you're working with right now, mm-hmm. and so yeah, I I think you're right, Charlotte. She's not Charlotte is not giving a prescription as to use this or use that. She really is talking about how you use them and how you think about these things.
0: Definitely.
2: Well, and one of the interesting things that I've come across is, you know, all of these Charlotte Mason curriculums that are out there, all I think most of them say, "Oh yeah, and go find your own math program." <laughs> <laughs> and 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 so it's it's That's it funny. it puts a division between it where 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 I'm not sure that there should be one, but it it's there and it's something that needs to be addressed. And there are many, like you said, there are many, many programs out there. The one we use is called Making Math Meaningful, mm. and the reason I use it is because when I started looking for math, I asked my mother, who was a math <laughs> teacher, and she said this one, and I said, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm honestly I'm not sure if it's mastery or spi- or uh, the spiral, but it has worked very well. It it walks them through slowly what they're supposed to do and how they're supposed to do it. And then on a whim, I picked up Life of Fred at our library, mm-hmm. and my children absolutely love Life of Fred. Aww. And so we'll probably just continue doing both of them. I I kind of have Life of Fred in my my morning time. Okay, book a rotation, and they're like, even my two year olds like Life of Fred. I'm like, oh, okay, <laughs> we can we can read Life of Fred now. It's okay. <laughs> oh, that's wonderful. Um, so those those are the two things I use in our house. Oh, that's great. Any last thoughts about mathematics or teaching or Charlotte Mason?
0: I have endless thoughts. Um, but no, this, <laughs> this has been a, a, a real pleasure. And this is one of my favorite things to do is to get to sit and talk about Charlotte Mason with other people. So thank you for having me. I really do appreciate it. And it's been a lot of fun. It yeah,
1: has it's, been. It's been wonderful to have you on, Amy. Thank you for for taking time out of your your, uh, what I'm sure is a busy life and busy schedule, especially now when everything's a little haywire.
0: <laughs> well, it's my pleasure.
1: <laughs> All right.
0: Oh, where can people find oh, you? That's right. That's, that's a good the question. question. Right. So my blog is at um, is dot com. And you will also find my podcast at thinkinglove.education. I co-host with Leah Martin, who I think will have been on the show the previous week. Um,
2: she does reading. Right. She was Where on was reading. She will have at
1: this. So we're definitely recording ahead of schedule at this point. But she at this point, she will have been on. I think uh, two
2: weeks ago now. A
1: couple a couple weeks ago, I think, is where, where it ends up in the mm-hmm. schedule. Yes.
0: Yeah. So you'll have heard from Leah already, but I co-host a podcast mm-hmm. with her, and that's at thinkinglove.education. I have a Facebook page for Around the Thicket, and my Instagram is amy.e.fisher. So that's me.
2: <laughs> awesome. Wonderful. Well, we'll link to all of those as well. Thank because you so much. It'd be great to to read more of your stuff. Yeah,
0: yeah. thank you
1: to all our listeners if if you don't follow amy on any of the various places that she just told you about definitely go and check her out uh, there's there's a lot of good stuff in all of the the things that she does so check her out give her a follow give her a podcast a listen and and yeah hopefully hopefully you can be enriched through her work as well so amy thank you for for being on our show it was wonderful to talk with you and you have yourself a wonderful day
0: thank you you too
1: Thanks for listening. Don't forget about the Charlotte Mason inspired online conference. If you're interested in attending, please find info at any of our social media places, our website, or our emails. We hope to see you there.